Well, hopefully as you came in that you picked up uh, one of the little communion cups. And if not, you can kind of take a, a, an exit where everybody will be watching you. Pick one up and then bring it back to your uh, chair or ask someone else to do that for you. But later on, we're going to remember the Lord uh, through uh, communion. But as we're doing that uh, today, uh, you might have noticed the message title if you've got an outline. It's all about remembering the good and the bad. And everyone, whenever I think about remembering... In, in many ways, remembering in the scripture is, is an active experience. It's calling back to mind about something that happened in the past so that it might make a difference in the present. And as if we think about that, not only in the present, but it will impact us in the future. So it's not just, oh, I, I, I just remembered that. It's, it's not just a, an idle remembering of facts, but it's, it's remembering things that will really make a difference in your life. And as we think about that, uh, as we look at our own experience in life, there are the good things that happen in life, and then there, there are the bad things that happen in life. And let's be honest, God can use both of those experiences to, to make a difference in our life, remembering the good and, and the bad. When uh, Alice and I got married uh, in the uh, long, long, long ages past, okay, uh, in, in the 70s, okay, and, and as we got together and we began life together, I had a car, she had a car, and she had one of these cars that, that really we both really loved. It was, um, it, it was one of those cars that no matter what size of street you were on, you could make a 360 in it. I mean, the, the turning radius in that was unreal. It was also, related to our budget, it had unbelievable gas mileage. You could drive forever in that car. And uh, it just, uh, it, it was a manual transmission. So that means we didn't have to loan it to people who didn't know how to drive a transmission car. And so it was, it was our car. And, and we kept it a little bit longer than we should have. Anybody have done that where, you know, you should have let that thing die and let somebody else mess with the problems of it. But we kept, we kept driving it forever. And, and, and long as you drive a car, there are things that eventually start to break down, but you're considering, well, it's still, it's still moving, so maybe I can keep it a little bit longer. Well, one of the things that happened in, in our, um, and, and, and here, here's, a, here's a blast from the past. It, it was a Datsun 1200. And you're thinking, Datsun, what in the world is a Datsun? Well, that's, that's what that company was called before it became a Nissan. Okay, so it was the last of the Datsuns before they changed their name. And it was a Datsun 1200, little green mini car. And, and one of the things that broke down is that the, it was a gas gauge. I mean, you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't tell whether you're running out of gas or not. And I'm thinking, well, you know, all I have to do is to remember, right? Remember the last time I filled it up and hopefully maybe write that down and then when I'm looking at it I can figure out okay it's, it's now time to go back and fill it up again and, and for a long period of time I was successful of remembering when I last filled up the gas tank but then there came a time when I somehow forgot neglected to write it down and I I thought I just kind of had a sense of when it was starting to you know need to be refilled but I kind of was pushing the envelope a little bit and uh, talking about heat, we, we were living in the desert area and, and I was driving all of a sudden my little Datsun 1200, you know, slowed to a slow pace and then it actually stopped. And, you know, with guys like me, you know, you, whenever your car's not working, you always open up the, the hood. Now, when I open the hood, it means absolutely nothing because I don't know what would be wrong by opening up the hood. But, but anyway, I opened up the hood. There didn't seem to be anything obvious, like a belt broken or something like that. And then I, I kind of figured out that I had forgotten something I should have remembered. And, and, and really the point of this whole message, if I, this <laughs> introduction is this, is that we have a tendency to uh, forget the things we ought to remember and remember the things we ought to forget. And th this was one of those things I, I needed to remember. And so uh, I, I, I was out of gas and it was, it was in the desert. It was 
It was in the summer. It was already hot. And of course, I, I believed in myself, so I wasn't carrying a gas can. And so, so I had to take a walk. And, and by the way, in the 70s, they didn't have what? They didn't have cell phones, so I couldn't call anybody. So I had to walk to the gas station and you know, everything's more expensive in the gas station than you can get at the thrift store or whatever it might be. So I had to buy the can, fill it up with gas, and walk back and fill it up. And, and, and on that day, I, I vowed I would never again, you know, re not remember that I needed to write down when my little Datsun 1200 uh, needed, needed gas. And, and what I want to say to you is, is you think about things like that happen in life and kind of it's humbling when you think about it happening to you. Is, is there some things in life that are even more important than remember I need to put gas in my car? And that is to remember what God is really doing and what he wants to do in your life. And to remember that God is always reminding us about what's most important. And as you think about this series in the book of Exodus, and we only have a few more weeks, we're going we're gonna to kind of have a faster pace. And, and last week I gave you, I think, 26 points. And we're not doing this way. We got three. And I decided this week, at least in the physical outline, that you had to fill in if you got, if you got that paper in front of you because there's only three blanks. But there's a few things that God wants to remind us of. And he wants us to remember the good and the bad. He wants us to remember the good things that, that he does for us. But he wants us to remember the bad things that we can do that will disrupt our relationship with God or really indicate that we don't have a relationship with God. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 25. And though we're going to be going through eight chapters, we're really only going to be touching base on actually two chapters. And, and we're really going to try to think, what, what is it God wants us to remember? In Exodus chapter 25, uh, we really have God unveiling uh, the, the next plan for his people. And, and we always want to be looking at, you know, what does God have for us next? What has he done for us in the past, but what does he want for us now? And, and, and what he, they want, he wanted to remind them of as they were going to be venturing in a whole new way of living. They had left Egypt. They were on that journey uh, to the promised land. And they, they weren't quite ready for the promised land because uh, they, they made great bold statements about their relationship with God, but they really were in indicative of what was really in their heart and, and really what they were committed to. And so he, he begins with giving them a huge object lesson. And this is the first thing we want to remember. This is a good thing. What he wants them to remember is that God chooses to dwell among his people. They had an extended period of time and I won't re-preach the early messages, but they had an extended period of time where they were wondering, unlike last message, where we talked about God showing up because they were pretty convinced God wasn't showing up. They, they had been involved in bondage for 430 years in a foreign land in Egypt, and they were, where's God? And, and God was taking them through a period of testing and, and challenging them to trust him when they can't always experience him in the way they want to experience him. And, and God showed up and, and he delivered them. But, but he knew that it was, they had, a, they had a pretty good forgetter in their mind and heart. And, and so what he wanted to emphasize to them is that, that he would always be with them. And let me just read a couple verses out of Exodus chapter 25. In Exodus chapter 25, we have Moses relaying the words of God. Exodus 25 verse 1. And he says, then, then the Lord God spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. So you're saying the first thing God said to the people, I want you to take an offering. Well, that really wasn't what he was saying here. I, I, I want, he was saying that. I, I want to give all those who freely want to give to what I'm about to do to give. But what was he to do? And what was he going to do with them? In verse 8 and 9 it says this, let them concentrate, excuse me, I, I'm trying to go fast for you. I'm trying to keep it, keep it uh, timely. 
Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you, as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. So really what he's doing, I, I want you as God's people to get in on a building program. And, and not so much like we do building programs in the contemporary church and the recent church experiences. There's some parallels. But he said, I, I want you to build something. And the particular reason is, I want to remind you that I will always be with you. I will dwell with you. And then for multiple chapters, what he does is he, he describes it in great detail. And if you're really big on curtains and, and fine jewelry and all the things you can put together, we could read this entire chapters uh, about that. But really what he's doing is saying, I, I want to build something to remind you that I'm always going to be with you and I want you to do exactly what I tell you. And, and the whole purpose is that whenever you see this tabernacle, it, it, it should remind you that I am with you. Now this tabernacle and this, it, it really is, if you want to get a kind of a visual perspective of this, this um, tent is about 50 feet long, all right? And if you were to take that another 25 feet, that, that, is, that is one side of it. And then if you were to go 150 feet the other direction, that would be the size of the place that they were to have a portable thing that would always be with them. And in it was some pictures of what it means to really relate to God. And really that word tabernacle is a word in the Hebrew that means to dwell. It says, I want you to build a dwelling place for me to dwell. And obviously you can't contain God in a building, but it was to remind them. I don't want you to be like everybody else and put together these little idols and say, that's my God. I want you to understand that God has put together something that is to remind you this is where I am in my, as I manifest my presence and this is how I want you to approach me. And, and in this 75 feet, 150 foot tented dwelling place, God says, here's how I want you to approach me. And, and again, as you have experienced that, that you need people to go before you because you, you are unworthy. And so they had a priesthood that, that weren't any more righteous or holy than they were other than they were given that responsibility to stand before God. And at the beginning of that tabernacle, there was a brazen altar. And that altar was a place. Look at, no one can come to me apart from the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. And that's what communion illustrates as well. You, you can't come on your own means. And then they had a labor in which the, the priests had a, to be clean and to wash their hands. And have you heard that we're supposed to wash our hands during this period of time? Uh, because we want to be safe physically. And so look at, you, you need to be safe spiritually. And then they had the Holy of Holies. And all the things that were in there that would describe what God was all about. And really what we want to understand is that not only was he doing it for them then, but he was doing it for us now to see the picture that God wants to dwell among us. And really, this is really the picture of the New Testament where Jesus comes to dwell among us. In fact, let me just read quickly a passage from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and apart from Him you can do nothing. Nothing came into existence apart from Him. But then in verse 14 it says this, and the Word became flesh. I remember the first time ever this passage, I go, what in the world is this talking about? You know, I was, I was never very good in 
in school dealing with poetic language and symbols and you know what is that supposed to represent I'm saying what what in the world is the word well who is the one who became flesh and that came from God it was this is the answer you can always say in church even if it's outdoors this word was who Jesus and the word became flesh and then it says and tabernacled among us that's actually the, the original word it's it dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so really what I want to share with you today is we, th we think about <laughs> what is it that God wants us to remember? He, he wants us to remember the best, the, the, the really good news is that, that God wants to be with us. From the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, the story is God wants to dwell among people who respond to him. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to tabernacle or pitch a tent to demonstrate, look at God is not somewhere out there that can't be found. He comes to find us and he, he dwells with us so that we can, we can see who God is. Because as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen God. And Emmanuel, God with us, and that, and that was Jesus. He, he dwelt among us. And to recognize as we go through life in a, in a crazy world like today, and tomorrow and we don't know how long the, the real the real blessing is that that Jesus has said I not only came to dwell with you for a moment I, I want to dwell with you forever in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 it says this that that as Jesus giving his marching orders to his disciples and to the church says, oh, oh by the way as you go out there to represent me uh, a low which is just a conjunction I am with you how how much always and then for some of us who are slow, who don't quite get it the first time, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then that very, that very encouraging promise in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, I, I, am, I, I will dwell among you, or I, I'll be with you always. I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. So, so that's the good news. That's the good news in Exodus. That's the good news in the New Testament. It's, it's demonstrated powerfully in Jesus. And if you want to know what Christianity is all about, it's really all about who? Jesus, right? And, and even as you think about that, let me just, just quickly share some things about the, uh, how Jesus was pictured in the tabernacle. As you think about that, how, how was Jesus pictured in the tabernacle? Uh, in terms of the showbread, he was the bread. He's the bread of life. As you think about the place where they were to be washed, uh, he is the water of life. As you think of all that he pictured, he, in the Shekinah glory, which is God demonstrating his power and his presence, uh, Jesus is the manifestation of all the attributes and character of who God is. So the first thing we want to remember in this day is, uh, now look at the real clock over there, is it, it, God wants us to remember that which is really good and, and that he is, he wants to dwell among us and he wants to dwell among us always. And as you think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which is just pitching a tent, demonstrating his presence, it's Jesus coming. And that's what he did. But secondly, as we think about that, in Exodus chapter 32, and so we're, we're going to miss putting together all the curtains and all the tabernacle elements. Uh, we're going to say, well, how, how did God's people respond to these great news? I mean, they must have been just totally faithful to follow God in all that he said and all that he did. But then uh, what happens in life is that life happens, right? Life happens. And, and things don't always go as you expected. Is that, is, is that true? Some things that you wouldn't anticipate happen. 
So the things you, you long for and really are convinced that God's going to come through with, it doesn't seem like he does. And, and so we pick up the story after Moses goes up on the hill again, Mount Sinai, and as he goes, and we won't read the section, but as he goes up into the cloud up in Mount Sinai, it describes what this cloud is. And yesterday, um, I was at a birthday party in Lake Arrowhead, and, and the Yukaipa uh, fire, um, it, it just, there was this mushroom of cloud kind of over Lake Arrowhead. Um, it really broke the heat for us, but it was, it was just a covering experience. Well, as, as Moses went up alone, and that's very important to remember, as he went up alone, he went up into this cloud that was described by everyone who saw it as a consuming fire. Now, there were all kinds of people as we were going off the mountain that they were stopping off the road and they were taking pictures of the, of the fire in Yukaipa. They just thought that was just an amazing experience. But they were a safe distance from it. You, know, you, you don't get up at a fire and start walking through it. And, and as they, they experienced Moses who had, had been the instrument that God had used to, to bring them out of slavery and bondage, all of a sudden he had taken off and, and when people take off, you, you're expecting they're going to what? They're going to come back. Well, he didn't come back. And, and so we picked up the story in Exodus chapter 32. And, and this, was this was what happens. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And the period of time between when they had just promised twice, at least recorded in the text, we will do everything God tells us to do. We will be obedient to all his commandments. We will remain faithful to him. And the first command was, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes, the next one, oh, by the way, and don't make any graven images of me as well. So the first two things on the list that they had promised as one voice to do uh, you know, time had passed, but, but it wasn't a long time. It wasn't 430 years, it was 40 days. Now, now part of you might say, well, because they, they had lost their leader, but, but God, God was their leader. God was the voice. But Moses hadn't come back, and, and they began thinking their own way. Well, he, he went into a consuming fire. If he went into a consuming fire, he's going to die. He's not coming back. And so immediately they began to, to leave God, and Here's my second point this morning, just really simply, is we need to remember God chooses to dwell among us on his terms, uh, but we need to remember that God chooses to, I mean, remember people choose to rebel against God for their own reasons. And, and maybe as we go through this, I'm just going to highlight some things I, I thought of looking at the text as far as what was the reason why they had so quickly departed God. Forty days. And, and I want to let you know, you know, 40 days is used in a, in a variety of different ways in the scripture symbolically, but you think about 40 days. 40 days, even in our own lives, is, is pretty instrumental about what is going to happen or not happen in our lives. But to be honest, if, if, you, if you talk to psychologists or, or people who, who monitor people's behavior, sociologists, and, and they look about people's lives and they ask, uh, you know, how long does it take for someone to develop a habit that might last for any period of time? Yeah, for some they'll say three weeks and some people will say six weeks. So it be 21 days and what, seven times six is 42, all right? So anywhere between 21 days and 42 days, people will develop a habit. 
And if you think about that, that's pretty true for most of us, right? If you're going to develop a, a new eating plan, it's not going to develop into a pattern of life if you only do it for two or three days, right? It better extend itself a little bit period of time. Or maybe you've made some commitments to, to do a certain amount of exercise every day and you, do, you get really excited for a while and then life happens and all of a sudden that habit's not there. And they've been close with God for 40 days and, or they've been for a period of time but then 40 days the one who was driving the spiritually was gone and, and now they were drifting. It doesn't take long to drift, does it? It doesn't take long to drift at all. And maybe in your own life, there, there's some drifting going on. And you wonder, why is that, so, why is that happening? Uh, you know, take about, you know, spending time with God in, in the Word or in prayer. Or spending time in real relationships with people. And, and there are periods of time because of, you know, seasons of life. But then, you, th then when you need to get back into it, you've you got to drive yourself to say, hey, look, I, I know this is healthy for me. And that, that's why we have life groups. But, but what was happening here, I, I, I put it this way, uh, you know, why were they now going to rebel against God or reject God or go a different direction? Because they didn't, uh, they didn't like what God was doing. You, you've left us all alone. Does that ever happen to you? You don't, you don't like what God is doing? Or, or maybe a little bit more seriously is, is why, why were they about to rebel or reject God or go a different way? And some describe their whole purpose of getting a, an idol to represent God was because Either they were replacing God or they were reducing God to something in their own image. But they, they didn't like because God had taken someone they loved. They loved Moses. They, they respected Moses. He, he, was, he was their leader and, and they, they didn't want that kind of God who, who let Moses die or, or be gone. And often that happens when tragedy or heartache happens. People begin to drift or rebel against God. And, and so the, the, the account goes on Exodus chapter 32 and this is what happens. Aaron said to them, we'll tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of, the, of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them to me. Well, we'll, 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 we'll satisfy your desire. We'll, we'll, we'll make you a God that you can, you can have something tangible to, to follow after. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He shook this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And, and so they began doing a lot of religious things, but they were drifting. And, and really, as you think, well, why do people drift? Not only because sometimes they don't like what God is doing or not, do, or not doing. Or sometimes they lose a loved one. Or, or maybe sometimes what happens is, uh, they have questions God doesn't answer. God, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing Moses either to be gone for so long or to perish and, and they don't have an answer? And then sometimes people will say, well, the reason I don't follow Jesus is because I can't see Jesus. I can't touch him. And, and, and part of that is, well, if God revealed himself to me in a dramatic way, then I would believe in him. And God said, I have manifested myself in so many different ways, not only when I was here, but in the lives of my people. You should see Jesus in other people who know and follow him. But he said, well, I can't see him. I can't touch him. And then part of it, they said, well, I, I don't have a God like other people. You know, what's interesting is they, is they, they made a, a molten gold calf. And actually, some say that actually was a bull. 
is that they wanted, they wanted a powerful God because right now they, they didn't think their God was too powerful because it, he wasn't doing anything. And you think about a bull. A bull, even in our culture, if, if, you are, uh, if you have some money in the stock market and you want your stock to go up, you're hoping that the next part of the market is going to be what kind of a market? A, a bull market, right? You, you want to thrive. And so they thought, well, this is the way we can thrive here out in the desert. We, we need a God that is strong and powerful. We want, we want a, a, a bull God. And, and you think about that. You, you think about, uh, the rumor has it that uh, the NFL is going to start, the football team. Uh, football teams, let's say it that way, and we're not sure about the college ranks. But you think about either high school or college football, uh, the sports, it's interesting what, what they name their teams, you know. Sometimes they'll call them, uh, you know, some kind of an animal or a person that ha has some power to it, like, like the Bulldogs, all right, that, that, that's your team. Have you ever thought about it? I've never, I've never heard about a team school, their, their mask was like, uh, mascot was like the Chihuahuas, right, you know. Or, okay, we're, we're going to root for our puppies. They're going to go out there and they're going to they're gonna win the game. I mean, they want something powerful. And you see, that's what, that's what they, were, they were struggling with. And they, they were rebelling because their, their God wasn't powerful enough. And, and we don't, you know, normally think that way, but we kind of relate that way at times. And then uh, God shows up again and Moses sees as well. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down at once for, for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And how they done it, verse 6. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. So they did some religious activity. And God often says, look, God, I, I'm not impressed that much with your offerings. I want you to, I want to see your life lived out. But he goes on and says that, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And that's a tame word to say. What they did is they started having an orgy. And, and, and they basically did whatever they felt like doing. And isn't that really a description for a lot of people? Now, I, I, don't, I don't mind following God as long as God doesn't tell me what to do, right? And, and so here, here was a really a point. That they they want to live their own life. They, they wanted to, you know, follow the beat of their own drum. And, and, and look, at that happens in so many ways uh, in our life as well, doesn't it? There are times that we really say more no to God than yes to God. And so there's all kinds of reasons why people begin to, to, do, to drift from God or rebel against God. And just reading the last part of that section real quickly. He says, they, they have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen the people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let alone that my anger may be burned against them and that I may destroy them. And then he tells to Moses, and that's the other part of the story, and I will make of you a great nation. Sometimes people drift from God because uh, they don't really realize God knows what's going on. Yeah, we, we, uh, we think we can hide from God because we can't see God. And if we can't see God, he probably can't what? See us. And if we can't hear audibly from God, then we don't think that God can hear us. And, and, and what it says right here in the text very simply as far as when we drift from God we, we forget what kind of God we have this, this is a God who knows us and he knows when he is obstinate when's the last time you, you told somebody they were pretty obstinate <laughs> you know I, that's not particularly a description you want to give of someone you know you are a stiff necked people you're a stubborn people you do whatever you want and, and God knew that and, and we don't want a God who knows us that well do we in the very first sin in the Bible when Adam and Eve sinned. They, they tried to what from God? 
hide from God. Now, how well did that work out? You know, you're not going to hide from God. They were an obstinate people. But I want to say something really, really quickly. The other thing about here was interesting is that God conveys to Moses that he is angry. And I, I think it's so tempting and revealing that we, we often want to sing and, and praise God for his love for us and his grace and his mercy. Sometimes we'll, we'll pray about it and proclaim his holiness, which is he's so distinct and separate from everything else. He's beyond everything else. But we need to understand that God is an angry God. He's angry with sin. And sometimes we can drift from God because we think, well, you know, God, God doesn't really care that much, right? God wouldn't be mad at me. God wouldn't be angry at me. And yet, God has been angry with his people when they turn from him. So what's the point this morning? And trust me, it's hot up here as well as hot there, right? <laughs> Is that, what does God want us to remember? He wants to remember that he chooses to dwell among his people. That's the good news. But the bad news is that we need to remember that we are a people prone to wander. That, that, that we will forget that, that God is a holy God and that he gets angry when we sin and, and we, are, we are so easy to forget his goodness and to kind of follow after our own desires and, and not realize that God created us in his image. We're not called now to create him in our image. And so God conveys that to his people as they're being prepared for their next uh, step. And then finally and quickly, uh, we need to recognize that, that God still is a good God. God, we need to remember that God alone can choose to forgive great sin. Let me read quickly uh, Exodus uh, 32, 30 through 35. And on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourself committed a great sin. And now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And we in contemporary Christianity want to say that all sins are the same. Well, in some ways, every sin is guilty before a holy God, but there are some sins with greater consequences than others. And when we run away from God, it, it, it causes so much that impacts other people's lives. And so, the scribe is, their rebellion and counsel was a great sin. Then, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, his people have committed again a great sin. And they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now if you will forgive their sins, and if not, please blot them out from your book which you have written. I'm not going to read the rest of the section there, but what, what you really have there is, is that God has a conversation with Moses and he, he forgives his people, but he doesn't punish his people. And as we think about it, there's always consequences for our sin. And, and God is able to take even great sin and forgive it to the place where he, he buries it in the deepest sea and he will remember that sin no more. But we need to recognize that, that God who delights and reaching down and, and touching the broken and the ones that people recognize as, as those that from their perspective have no worth and, and lifting them up out of their, their pile of disgrace. That we need to recognize that even with his people, he didn't start all over again. He says, I'm going to work with the stiff-necked people, the stubborn people, and I'll forgive them and bring them into the land. And as we think about that, that's really what the communion really pictures. And I shared this a number of months ago. As we think about the COVID-19 virus, we need to remember that God who dwells among us, remember that God is very aware that his people 
rebel against him, but recognize that he is the source of forgiveness, that there is a, there is a COVID-19 virus, but there is a communion virus as well. And when we take communion, what we need to realize is that God wants us to remember both at the same time. It's a, it's a place of celebration. Jesus did the finished work for our sin. It is finished on the cross. He can forgive us of all of our sin and remind you that he paid the price. But he also wants us to recognize when we come to this table to remember what he's done, that, that we are to come with a, a humble heart, unveiling everything in our life that is far from him. You know, confessing our sin to him and being right with other people and recognize that he calls us to represent him well. And reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the challenge for God's people to remember he dwells among us, we, to remember that we do run from him and rebel against him and remember that he alone can forgive us our sin. But in Matthew, in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the text. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. comes. And, and that's remembering that his, his sacrifice for us is sufficient. But then he goes on and says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks, judge it to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And simply put is, the good news is we celebrate what Jesus has done. The bad news is to recognize that God is aware of our sin. And when we come to this table, we come to him humbly, asking him to clean up anything that's now curt in our life that doesn't please him. And again, surrender our lives to the one who came for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask you as we come today that we might remember the good and the bad. Remember the good that you are sufficient for all of our shortcomings. That you alone can dwell among us and that you will always be faithful to us. And then we can trust in you even when things aren't going like we wouldn't understand and expect. But also you've called us, remember that we are a needy people and that we need to confess our sin and recognize that your, your sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.